0: Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I'm your head firmly set on his shoulders of a host, Gary, (laughs) here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. I am joined by my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann.
1: Hey, Gary.
0: Hey, Goldie Ann. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm getting excited as we are just about to enter the spookiest month of the year, October. Whoop, whoop.
1: Oh, that's a a skunk ape call. Whoop, whoop, whoop.
0: (laughs) Okay, that is a skunk ape call, but that's not the subject of our episode today. In fact, I've been working on the last episode we had because... Apple Podcasts and iTunes had issues feeding it out to the subscribers, so we did not have very many listeners from Apple during our first two days of broadcasting that episode last week.
1: Yeah, we thought everyone didn't like us anymore.
0: <laughs> or at least Apple didn't like us anymore. But I have had to send in a work order or a ticket item to see if they could correct the situation. They did, and all of a sudden we had this big flare-up of listeners all of a sudden listening to the episode. So, it's getting caught up. I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that the problem's resolved. And this Monday, when this episode comes out, we don't have that same problem. But I will keep a close eye on it. Now, Goldie Ann, before we begin, I did have an important question to ask you. Okay. Where would you find a monster snail?
1: I have no words. I, 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 I don't know. I'm scared to ask.
0: You're spending a lot of time thinking about
1: it. I know, because it's got. There's, that's got to be something. Play on words, but I can't get it.
0: Well, Goldie Ann, you would find a monster's snail at the end of a monster's finger. His finger snail.
1: Wow. Oh my God.
0: I know. I know. You would have gotten it eventually.
1: No, I probably wouldn't have.
0: Well, for the rest of our listeners, today's episode contains stories about a terrifying and gruesome creature roaming the forests of West Virginia. Some of the details can be disturbing. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. We introduce our story in West Virginia, better known as the Mountain State, which has been a hotbed for cryptid sightings in the 1950s and the 1960s. It was in 1952, residents in Braxton County, West Virginia, reported the very first sightings of what would become known as the Flatwoods Monster. We've done him. Well, 12 years later, the citizens of Point Pleasant described their own initial encounters with the Mothman in 1966.
1: I said, oh, our reigning mascot.
0: Now, both have been topics of previous episodes, yet there was a third incident that occurred during the period between these other two. One that was even more strange, bizarre, and frightening. It would be on the June 16th of 1964 in Grafton, West Virginia that a sleepy town on the Tygart Valley River was facing a mysterious terror that had the entire region in an uproar. Their own monster legend would come lurching out of the forest and become one of the state's most famous cryptid encounters. Though the creature left not so much as a single footprint, Folks in the community still talk about encounters in hushed voices when the sun goes down over the Allegheny foothills. Today, we take a walk within the mist to discuss the Grafton Monster. Dun, dun, dun! Ooh, nice touch. Thanks. Chapter 1, The Newspaper Man. On June 16, 1964... Robert Cockrell got off of work at the local newspaper, the Grafton Sentinel, which is now known as the Mountain Statesman. It was about 11 p.m. at night, and he started his journey home behind the wheel of his car. It had been a long day on his typewriter, working on articles for the paper. It always seemed that every story was filled with bad news.
1: (laughs) Not much has changed in the times.
0: That is true. And for the local community of Grafton in the state of West Virginia, they were facing an economic depression caused by the gradual decline in the factory work during the second half of the 20th century that the town depended on. Many of the population were out of work and the town was facing a complete closure. Added to that was a growing fear of global conspiracies regarding the Cold War which filled the news with stories of spies and foreign enemies hidden behind every tree. People were afraid, and they felt powerless to do anything against it. Cockrell felt this even more strongly as he wrote their stories and shared in their everyday lives. These thoughts probably ran through his mind on his late night ride down the dark Riverside Drive. The road passed along the western banks of the equally dark Tigart River on his way home. It was a drive he repeated on nearly a daily basis, and he knew every turn of the route, which is why the events of this night would stand out so differently.
1: Sounds like the beginning of a horror movie.
0: A horror movie it is indeed. <laughs> Rounding a bend in the road, Cockrell's headlights caught What the reporter would later describe as a Huge, white object Just to the side of the road Instinctively, he applied the brakes to slow down his approach The stark white mass was filling much of the grassland space Between the road's shoulder and the trees that lined the river That's big Very large indeed His car decelerated just within yards of this out-of-place object, keeping it brightly lit within its headlights. Cockrell was confused and surprised as he attempted to understand what it was he saw and noting just how out-of-place the object was. It was just then the mass moved. It was disturbed by the sounds of the car and the lights projecting onto it. It seemed to stand, and Cockro's mind spun in the realization that the object was in fact alive, the likes of which he would later describe as something he had never seen before, even in his darkest nightmares. The Grafton monster is described as enormous, seven to nine feet tall, four feet wide, and having slick, white seal-like skin. The moment of Cockrell's discovery froze in his mind as he attempted to make sense of what he saw, and what he did not see. This monstrosity would be the stuff of nightmares already, but its strangest trait was that it possessed no discernible head. Where its head should have been was empty space where the shoulders met. It would be later believed that the creature's head was low on its shoulders. Making it only appear to be headless. But that thought didn't come to Cockrell's mind at the time.
1: So, kind of like an albino muckman.
0: There are some similarities if you don't look for wings. But, in addition to the bizarre appearance of this creature, there was an eerie, low whistling sound drowning out the engine of Cockrell's car. He was never sure if it came from the monster, considering he never saw any mouth capable of making any such sounds or if it was coming from the woods beyond.
1: It was probably coming from him, and he didn't know it.
0: (laughs) A scream coming off as a whistle? That's pretty (laughs) high-pitched. Well, Cockerel was so terrified by what he had seen, he instinctively slammed his foot down hard on the accelerator and pulled away from the creature. Gravel from the road shoulder kicked up into the air. Not daring to make any further stops, he didn't even look back in his rearview mirror. The reporter raced home, parked his car, raced inside, locked the door, and then sat down on his sofa with a very stiff drink. His hands were trembling, and his mind was almost overcome with the shock of everything. Eventually he was able to calm himself at least enough to call his friends Jerry Morse and Jim Mauser to tell them about his encounter with the creature. He had to tell someone in order to convince himself that what had happened to him was real and not just some hallucination. He made sure not to leave out any details in his story to his friends. Luckily, the two friends believed him, and though dawn was fast approaching, The two agreed to return to the lonely stretch of road where their friend had seen the beast in order to conduct their own further investigation. Cockrell felt his courage returning with the arrival of his friends to the area with him. The three parked their cars alongside the road and stepped out into the summer night. Armed with flashlights, they walked up and down the roadway along the riverbank and even into the forest a short distance. After their investigation they concluded that there was no sight of the creature. It had simply vanished. Looking around they could see that the grass was trampled where the creature once stood and the low whistling sound was still coming from the direction of the river. The sound seemed to follow them as they continued their search at the location regardless of what direction they went, always seemingly to come closer, but then retreating when they tried to make their way towards the source of the sound. First, it originated by the river, then down the road, and then another time the three men could swear it was in the forest. They could not determine the source of the sound, and with the beginning of morning. They decided it was probably best and safest to return when the full sunlight was up. And they concluded their search.
1: But then it won't be there.
0: Well, it wasn't there when they looked.
1: True. Okay. Good
0: and point. I think, I think they were getting a little bit intimidated by the sound following them and not being able to see such a creature so large.
1: Yeah. Closing in on you from all around. There could be a herd of them.
0: That would be even Whistling worse to for each them. Other. And signaling their plans to attack. Uh
1: huh. Kind of push them into a middle.
0: Ooh. That's good a,
1: thing they left.
0: Very good thing they left. Yeah.
1: Blood curling.
0: Well, that allows us to continue on with Chapter Two News Travels Fast. The next day at work, after a night of very little sleep, Cockerell said nothing to his co workers about the encounter with the monster he was unusually quiet and somber behind his typewriter, attempting to focus on his work rather than his terror. However, his two friends were out spreading the story of the creature around town. Being a small community, the two men would pass on their friend's encounter with such a large monster and their own uneasiness being in the location. Gossip in a small town can be an amazing thing. And the two men seemed to find eager listeners everywhere they would go. Then, those listeners would go and spread the story even farther.
1: So by now it's not even the story
0: anymore. It's hard to imagine how this story evolved, because it passed faster than wildfire, and it was not long before Cockrell began hearing of other sightings being reported into the newspaper office. Calls were coming in of people claiming the monster in the woods. He was unable to get any of his normal duties completed, so after a few minutes, he talked himself into it, and he got up from his desk and walked into his editor's office. With a deep breath, he told him about his own encounter with the enormous white monster the night before. The editor at the Sentinel immediately dismissed the reports of a monster in Grafton. But then 20 more calls came in from people who allegedly sighted the monster and the validation of his own reporter convinced him that he needed to do something. The editor told Cockrell that he would publish a small piece about the incident and perhaps the public would be intrigued or have a possible answer to the mystery. Cockrell returned to his desk now eager to write an article on the Grafton monster which was published in the Sentinel on June 18th. That morning, the daily newspaper was quickly bought up faster than it had ever been before and word of the beast spread through the town creating a frenzy among the population especially the younger members of the community. Chapter 3 monster-hunting teenagers. Much like a horror movie, it was the teenagers who acted first, and following the stories being passed along and the sightings that plunged the town into a full-on monster-hunting fever. Teenagers were the first to take to the forests and the riverbanks in search of the white creature. Cockrell's article on June 18th of 1964 was titled, Teenage Monster Hunting Party's Latest Activity on Grafton Scene. <laughs>
1: That's what I call it Friday night.
0: In a small town like Grafton, West Virginia, I'm sure it was a event in itself. Yay! Woo! Well, he wrote that if you wanted to go, quote, monster hunting, all you had to do was join the roving bands of teenagers who were convinced that a monster existed and was roaming in the section of Riverside Drive near the city's stone quarry. Several bands of teenagers armed with flashlights, mallets, crowbars, and the like, were reported searching the Riverside Drive area. The law enforcement authorities had taken no official notice of the reports at the time, leaving the chase of the great white creature to the use of the community. And they were willing to take up the charge. In fact, at approximately 10 p.m. the night, it was reported that the cars were almost bumper to bumper along the river drive. And a large number of vehicles were pulled off of the road to permit joining in the area's most popular sport in recent years, (laughs) monster hunting.
1: Oh boy, this can't end well.
0: So a lot of testosterone, a lot of youth, and unknown target that they're hunting.
1: And this was after the... Well, it was before Mothman, but after the
0: Flatwoods. Flatwood
1: Monster, right? Yes.
0: Okay. So, West Virginia had already had experience with their own monster.
1: I was just thinking that these, these reports sound so much like the chaos that was created for the Mothman too. Might have been the same generations.
0: Many times cryptids do have the ability to stir up panic and fear in the community, especially at the, during the 50s and 60s.
1: Yeah. In fact, now we're just used to it.
0: <laughs> in fact, reports from these excursions resulted in more stories from people allegedly seeing the monster. The newspaper article would continue on that the descriptions of Grafton's monster sounded like that of recent reports of other creatures. So like you were saying, maybe not the Flatwoods monster, but there was a monster in Michigan that was very similar to the Grafton monster. Hmm. The newspaper article did make sure that the Grafton's monster was reported to be a bit bigger in every respect.
1: Oh, of course.
0: Now, this other monster would become known as the Dewey Lake monster or the Sisters Lake Sasquatch. The Michigan creature was reported to be an ape-like creature similar to descriptions of Bigfoot and was spotted during the summer of 1964, the same time period as the Grafton monster. Michigan had their monster near Dewey Lake and Sisters Lake in what town of Doegiac, Michigan. Despite reports that a Michigan version of the creature existed, it was believed that theirs was a bear The residents of Grafton were convinced that their monster was not like anything ever seen before. One teenager that was interviewed suggested that the Grafton monster may have been an escaped polar bear.
1: Yeah, that's a good
0: one. (laughs) True. However, he gave no suggestions as to where a polar bear could have escaped from. Odds that a polar bear making its way down from the Arctic Circle without notice struck most is not very likely. Yeah. Another report on the monster stated that, quote, I have seen the creature called the Grafton monster several times when I was a young man, and it is very real. I was with my father cutting wood. We had finished, and we were loading the truck when our two dogs started barking we stood there and listened as something was walking getting closer my dad told me to get the gun from the cab he carried a double barrel 10-gauge with double-hot buckshot whatever it was had picked up its pace and continued toward us all we knew for sure was that it was big and it wasn't scared of us the dogs or the chainsaws. It stopped about 50 to 55 yards from us in the trees and went very quiet. My dad pulled both hammers back and stood in front of me, telling me to be ready. The next thing that happened I'll never forget. It stepped out, looked at us, took three strides in our direction, turned and walked back into the tree line. That was my first sighting of the beast, and I'll never forget it.
1: Okay. That sounds totally believable. I mean, you know, from me, my standpoint. But, you know, hey, who am I to judge?
0: At least the monster didn't want to go up against a shotgun full of buckshot.
1: No kidding.
0: (laughs) Nor would I. Now, this would not be the only story regarding the Grafton monster, as another resident talked about when he, quote, saw the monster near the river early in the morning. It saw me and instantly froze. It did not move. I was fishing at the time and left all of my gear there and started to run away. As I ran, I turned and I saw that it, too, turned away and started running off. <laughs>
1: ah, human! Ah!
0: As I got near my truck and began opening the door, I heard a whooshing sound. And a bright light appeared above the tree line. I drove off and got my gear two days later. Lucky it was still there. I don't think the Grafton Monster is much of a fisherman.
1: Oh, no, I was thinking about other people. Okay. Other people going fishing, seeing, hey, all this good gear.
0: Well, maybe the Grafton Monster scared them off, too. <laughs>
1: Shh.
0: With all these stories, by the next night, the number of teenagers and their cars had doubled alongside the road. By now, several adults also joined in the action, prompting the police to finally begin their investigation.
1: I was like, kids can get killed, but no adults. Gotta stop this shit now!
0: Now that you mention it, it does look that way, doesn't it? (laughs) They didn't seem to worry about it when it was just
1: kids. (laughs) Oh, boys will
0: be boys. Well, after their lengthy investigation during the following days, and with more reports coming in of sightings, no physical evidence of the grafted monster was found. Not one bit of hair, and not one footprint.
1: We've even found more of that from Bigfoot.
0: We found a lot more based (laughs) off of Bigfoot. In explanation, the topography of the state lends itself to a creature being able to remain hidden with the vast acres of mountains and dense forests. Even the stone quarry would enable the creature to hide effectively. Ted Foster, author of Colin McGregor's Last Hunt, wrote that the creature could be some unidentified intelligent wildlife that is smart enough to avoid complete detection. So we are only left with glimpses of parts of it and in poor lighting. A creature smarter than the hunters. To the locals, they were convinced that the creature existed and they were terrified of it. The town leaders felt that they had to get a handle on the situation before a complete panic overtook their town and somebody got hurt. Chapter 4 Spring Fever Uh Uh-oh. Spring is in the air.
1: Does that mean we're going to have mating Grafton monsters?
0: That's one way of looking at it. They're
1: twitter painted.
0: Romance and candlelight everywhere.
1: Don't forget the picnic baskets.
0: Anyways, getting back to chapter 4, the excitement of the Grafton monster was now making headline news across West Virginia and the country. It was time for a reaction about the monster, and it all fell on the shoulders of the newspaper that started the whole thing, the Grafton Sentinel and its editor. On June 19th, only three days after the initial sighting of the creature, the newspaper published another article about the Grafton monster and all of the hunting parties chasing for it. The article openly poked fun at the growing search for a supposed monster in Grafton in an article entitled, Monster Result of Spring Fever and Wild Imagination. The article would go on to claim that all of the sightings of the Grafton monster were the personification of active imaginations. Hmm. Cockrell's own involvement was kept very quiet and out of the headlines. Of course. It wrote that a combination of spring fever, lack of area recreation facilities, and the large amount of recent publicity for the Michigan town claiming to have a monster all created the panic of the Grafton monster. So, were these kids actually bored, and because they were twitterpated, were out in the woods hunting a giant white monster?
1: Well, the guys weren't twitterpated. The Grafton monster's twitterpated. Keep up, man.
0: I'm sorry. Okay. I don't understand the romantic notions of you said large hominids. Okay, Anyway, The newspaper said Springfield. Okay,
1: so anyways. I think that, okay, so the kids... They're not necessarily bored because, you know, they've probably lived there their whole lives. But if they hear this much excitement going on, yeah, that's going to spur up some fun, spur up some partying, and some real hunting. You know, don't go hunt a deer today. Let's go hunt for the monster.
0: And you know none of them carried weapons other than basically crowbars and baseball bats. (laughs) Not much to go up against a nine-foot-tall, four-foot-wide, hulking monster without a head. Okay, and facts. <laughs> Fact ish. Now, the people who reported the sightings were described as having laid the basis for the wildly imaginative story about the Grafton monster. But the newspaper said that they were all completely fictional without any supportive facts behind them. This is true. The newspaper explained that the monster was much more likely being the result from a, quote, Individual pushing a handcart loaded high with boxes walking alongside Riverside Drive on Tuesday night.
1: Well, son of a bitch, why didn't I think of
0: that? Well, it might be because in the late evening of Half Light, the person in the handcart would have taken on a weird shape and be mistaken for a monster.
1: What would a person with a handcart piled high of boxes be doing walking around the forest? On the side of the road. That's a very good question.
0: Also, here's another one for you. I call
1: BS. It's a monster.
0: Well, consider (laughs) this. Nobody ever stepped forward as that individual to explain why they were pushing such a device at so late an hour beside an empty river road. Because it's stupid. Well, stupid or not, it was a detail that the newspaper and the local police conveniently ignored. Um, Yeah who needs logic when you're trying to convince the public mm-hmm. now the article also argued that the monster couldn't have shown up in the riverside drive area even if it wanted to the area was so overrun because of the many teenagers and adults roaming that section of the city such a crowd of people would have prevented the monster from making his personal appearance by their logic
1: okay but that's the point it did make an appearance welcome home
0: The newspaper chose to ignore those
1: stories.
0: (sighs) Authorities were relieved as the monster hunting did wind down after the article. No one was accidentally shot or hurt in the process. For the Sentinel, at least, the matter of public fascination had been settled. For everyone else, however, the legend of the Grafton monster was just beginning. Chapter 5. Gray Barker Robert Cockrell quietly pursued his own personal investigation while still working for the newspaper. Using its resources, he was able to research other reports and interviews as well as looking into the historical documents. There, he supposedly was successful in finding more support that the monster did exist and had for quite some time. With his own credibility connected to the story, it prevented his voice from being heard, so he needed an expert opinion of what the creature was who could spread the story to the public. Cockrell would later contact a native West Virginian and paranormal author, Gray Barker. He was the author of the 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, and was already a name in the paranormal circles. Barker was also interested in strange creature sightings like the earlier Flatwoods monster that may have had a direct correlation with his study of UFOs and his later work on the Mothman helped define the mysterious entities known as the Men in Black. For him, creatures were proof of UFOs.
1: So now this guy worked on both the Flatwood monster and the Mothman so why not come work on this one?
0: Okay, now let's keep oh, the right, timeline right, right, straight. Right, yeah, it was right. Flatwoods Monster, then Grafton. Now, he would go on to do okay. Mothman. So he did all three. Okay,
1: yeah. But I right now we're just focusing
0: up. on his Grafton Monster one. Right. And in fact, Cockrell had to work hard to convince the UFO researcher that his sighting was not a practical joke. And that what he had seen was indeed very real. Soon after, Barker drove to Grafton, West Virginia, and interviewed the reporter... Because he at least wanted to write up the case for a popular UFO magazine. Barker gathered up a vast amount of research and the data from Cockrell and the other eyewitnesses. He wrote the article, but for some reason, it never made print.
1: And this is the article about the Grafton monster? Yes. Okay.
0: The paranormal expert researched it had everything ready even wrote the article but it was never published huh. the letters, notes photographs and newspaper clippings were placed in a public record with the Gray Barker collection in West Virginia so it wasn't that the information disappeared it was still in his files and in his collection of items that you can see today hmm. there was weird it was very weird And there was no explanation as to why he did not follow through with publishing the article was ever given. In a letter written to Cockrell, Barker suggested that the grafted monster could possibly be, quote, an alien visitor from another planet. He suggested that the creature could be a lab animal left on Earth by the extraterrestrials in order to test the planet's livability. Perhaps the monster was an experiment that was removed when it had run its course. So you have the white lab rat and you have the white grafted monster.
1: Okay, so I also have this Barker. Is that right? Barker Correct. guy. He's just all about aliens.
0: He is very big on so, aliens.
1: Oh, that's not a fly. That's an alien. Hey, that came from the UFO.
0: You are right, he did put a very strong UFO slant on the Grafton monster, but his suggestion was based on the fact that every time an eyewitness had seen the Grafton monster, other eyewitnesses in the area reportedly had seen strange lights in the sky, or even saucer-shaped discs flying at incredible speeds. Grafton, West Virginia itself had been a hotbed for UFO activity.
1: Okay, which also, once again, brings in the Mothman. There's a lot of strange lights going on there.
0: As we dedicated a whole episode to the possibility of Mothman being an alien. Barker had the same theory about the Grafton monster being an alien. Interesting. Others have suggested that it could have been an interdimensional traveler. A monster that could come and go between our dimension and its own kind of the same thing as you would describe a demon or a creature that is able to walk through a dimensional portal their argument is is that the whistling sound heard during the first night of its appearance made from the portal or means of enabling the creature to enter our world If you remember, the story of the kid who was fishing when he rushed into his car and closed it after he ran away from the Grafton monster, heard a whoosh and saw bright lights over the sky. Right. So another argument that Barker utilized to support his case that the Grafton monster, much like the Flatwoods monsters, were space aliens. Chapter six, the Grafton monster of today. Oh, The Grafton Monster has grown to become one of the most well-known West Virginia cryptids, taking its place amongst the Flatwits Monster and the Mothman. Cryptozoologists and monster enthusiasts make the journey to visit this small town every year in their search for evidence of the beast's existence. In 2014, the television show called Mountain Monsters featured the Grafton Monster, Fans and supporters of the creature were quite upset at how the story treated their monster in a highly sensational and ridiculous manner.
1: Yeah, that'd probably make me mad too.
0: The Grafton monster has become very beloved, and according to some reviews of the episode, the show presented hazy photographs of the creature frightening or hunting cattle as it's made its way through the trees. There was nothing supportive of the creature's existence was ever given. So they kind of felt that the Grafton monster was treated as a joke. Right. On a more positive note, the Grafton monster has also gone on to be the subject of other forms of media. Colin McGregor's Last Hunt by Ted Foster is a fictional post-apocalyptic book set after a nuclear fallout in the West Virginia mountains. The story of this book appears to have inspired the Bethesda post-apocalyptic video game called Fallout 76, which takes place in the same post-apocalyptic West Virginia. During a press conference hosted by Bethesda Softworks, the executive director Todd Howard confirmed that monsters featured in the game were inspired by West Virginia folklore, to include the Flatwoods monster, Mothman, And, of course, the Grafton monster, immortalizing them forever digitally.
1: I still have to find out if my son's played this game.
0: I may have to see if we can play this game.
1: That'd be kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I may have to see if it works on one of our game systems and try it out. Because I've seen screenshots of the Grafton monster from the game, and it looks very terrifying. So I would love to see what it looks like actually playing the game. To the town of Grafton, they have grown to support their local cryptid, and in 2018, they placed a commemorative sign at the site of Cockrell's 1964 sighting. It didn't take long before a souvenir hunter stole the sign and motivated its relocation to the downtown area upon the sign's recovery. So someone saw the sign and decided that it would look pretty good in their living room luckily they got it back so Goldie Ann do you have any closing remarks
1: um, other than I want to try to play Fallout 76 <laughs> I don't know I don't like the jump to UFOs for everything so I don't know about this guy but since our beloved Mothman is there and the f- Flatwoods monster It's just a gimme. I mean, West Virginia is just the hotbed for cryptids.
0: It is a huge area for some of the most famous cryptids and for the most number of sightings of UFOs. For me, the Grafton monster hasn't been seen since, so its disappearance does kind of question whether it ever existed. You know, was this a newspaper hoax to, you know, sell papers and boost up the economy of Grafton? And then when they discovered it was growing too fast and risked the lives of teenagers they backpedaled, that's a possibility. Or is there a creature that is able to walk through the mountains of West Virginia still waiting to be discovered? Or was he picked up like E.T. and phoned home?
1: Or, you know, could he be another species or a younger uh, variation of the Mothman?
0: As you said, there is a similarity of the descriptions is that the Mothman was also described as not really having a head, although you could see it had eyes. Right. And it had wings. So maybe they're similar species or a male slash female versions of the same species with differences.
1: Or young teenager versions.
0: That's true. So there could be a connection with Mothman.
1: That kind of makes me happy.
0: That there's a connection to Mothman? Yeah. Um, I'm here to make you happy.
1: Ah, I know. Thanks.
0: Well, being sure not to drive my car into any giant white monsters tonight, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. We are on social media and really would like to hear your stories and opinions about West Virginia cryptids and the Grafton Monster. Please feel free to leave us a review on your podcast provider. Hopefully, that'll keep Apple from losing our episodes next time. Yes, please. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Miss Podcast, and we are also on Instagram and Twitter. We even have an email at Within the Miss Podcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to write us with your opinions of the show or this story we hope you enjoyed our story about the grafton monster and will come again for another episode until then look closely when driving along a dark roadway and remain constantly curious (laughs) goodbye everybody
1: bye guys see you next time